Hi, this is Elaine. We've hosted guest experts on impactparents.com every week since 2011. And since 2017, they've been podcast style interviews. Now we're dipping into those archives to share these fascinating conversations with leading world experts on the Parenting with Impact podcast. Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Elaine Taylor-Klaus with Impact ADHD, your online resource for raising and educating kids with complex issues. And I am really excited to welcome back Susan Barafeld to our guest expert program. Hi, Susan. Hi. It's so good to have you. We are glad to have you here. So let me tell you a little bit about Susan. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, a speaker, a parenting consultant, an ADHD coach, and she really focuses on understanding and teaching skills for success. So we're going to talk about that today in this conversation. She works with parents and teachers and really tries to help them learn how to be more curious and less fearful and invest in their relationships, which is totally what we're all about, which is why we love having her with us as an expert. Dr. Barrowfeld offers compassion, humor, support, and so today we're going to have some interesting conversations. You can find out more about her at SusanBarrowfeld.com, and we'll come back to that later. Today we're going to talk about shame, blame, and criticism, and how and the ways that shows up in our world, and begin to talk about how to manage it. So Susan, welcome. So glad you're here, and let's get started. What comes up around shame and blame? Well, we live in a culture right now that wants everything to be perfect and everything to be comfortable and to have no uncertainty. Yeah, and sure. Yeah, and kids in schools right now, often it's one way or the highway, and they're supposed to be on this perfect path to glory with a prestigious college. And when there are some bumps <laughs> in the road, uh, often parents have a hard time managing that. And one of the things that shows up is shame that yeah. they have this kid who's not on this golden path. And that's problematic not only for the kids, but for the parents as well. Right. And it can wreak some havoc in the way you inadvertently begin talking to your kids. As so a parent. As a parent. So it can creep in if you're not mindful. And then the kids can get more and more ashamed. And shame is a pretty toxic emotion. Most of the other emotions are pretty useful. They give you some useful information that can direct you to what to do. Shame is pretty toxic. And shame is something that you want to minimize as much as you can. So what's the impact of shame? What makes it so toxic? The impact of shame is people will tend to shut down. They tend to not try. They tend to isolate themselves. They tend to hide 
what they're struggling with due to the shame. And when you hide what you're struggling with, it's really hard to work on it. It's really hard to get help for it. It's really hard to manage. So if kids with LD or ADHD or anxiety or any of these challenges are feeling a sense of shame, even if the parents aren't aware that that that's happening, these are kids who are likely to not try or to hide or to not ask for help or accept help. That's one of the ways it can manifest, yes. Um, They can also, when confronted with these areas that they're ashamed of, they can become explosive as well Mm. because they're very sensitized to the shame. Right. Um, And they don't want anyone to see it. So what it may look like is, don't talk to me about that. You know, that's off limits. We're not going to talk about that. Which also then parents can get into thinking that's disrespectful. And then they begin talking about disrespect. And when you do that, even though that can be disrespectful, when you do that, you lose the important lesson here, which is what's going on. Right. Right. That's where the curiosity comes in. That's where the curiosity comes in. Mm -hmm. So when we get triggered by our kids' behavior, and we start focusing on the impact of that behavior on us, rather than what happened before that behavior for the child, it's not so helpful. Well, I often think about that in terms of we, we are no longer focusing on them. Once we shift the focus to us, right, it's not about them anymore. Right, right. right. And what can happen as a result of that is that kids get the message that their job is to be okay, so mom and dad are okay. Right. Calm me down. Yes. (laughs) As a parent. Yes. And this is problematic for many reasons. First of all, kids can't do this. It's a job they cannot do. The only person who can regulate a person is that person themselves. Right. So it's an impossible job. And it also puts enormous stress and pressure on a child when they feel like their mom and dad are not okay when they're not okay. Mm -hmm. What they need most from us is that we are okay even when they're not. Well, and it's interesting. Even as I hear you say that, I want to sort of modify it to, and it's okay for us to be human. Absolutely. Right? It's not like we have to pretend we're always okay. Absolutely. That's not what you're saying. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. No. What I am saying is that when you are not okay, when you're disrupted, when you're upset, that you make it really clear that you can manage that mm-hmm. and that it's not your kid's job to manage that. Right. So if right. you find yourself upset, make it clear. You can name it. I'm upset. You can even make it clear to your kid. When that happens for you, I feel angry. I feel sad. Right now I need some time and space to manage that. And then once I get calmed down, I'm going to come back and we're going to figure this out. Right. So for, for parents, the, the role is to recognize when we're not calm so that we can return to calm so that we can put the focus back over there on the child, not on us. Because Absolutely. the issue is really what's happening with the child. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So when you find yourself disrupted, that's going to happen. You can't make that not happen. Another human moment. Yeah. But what <laughs> you want to do is deal with it away from your child. Hmm. And then come back to your child when you are regulated, when you are in charge of yourself, and then help the child deal with whatever they were going through. Well, and I, I hear so many advantages to that. One is that if you're not regulated, you're not in a problem-solving part of your brain. So nope. 
you're not going to be very helpful anyway. But you're also modeling for your child that notion of recognizing when you're not self-regulated and taking the break to recover. You know, we call it reclaiming the brain. Yes. You're actually teaching your child, modeling your child how to do that. Right. And and what you want to do to reduce shame is to normalize that, that this happens. Mm. Yeah. And when you normalize it, it becomes much more manageable. Because when you get all excited and bothered and dysregulated by it, then the kids are like, oh, no, not only can I not manage this, but mom and dad can't manage this. And, oh, wow, is this a problem? Right. It magnifies the problem. Great. So tell me, where does the shame conversation tie into blame and criticism? Well, a lot of the language we use, language and words matter. Yeah, a lot. A lot. (laughs) A whole lot. And if you grew up like I did in a household where it was always somebody's fault and you always had to figure out who was to blame, that's how you learn. And you get this language that, okay, we got to blame somebody, got to talk about blame. And it becomes kind of habitual to talk like that. Mm -hmm. Yet when we talk like that, it makes it harder to manage because it puts the focus on external sources for managing that something outside of yourself is causing this rather than on the internal sources. And we want to foster a sense of resilience and competency and agency in our children. Mm-hmm. And when the focus is always on blame, that there's always something to blame rather than, okay, this happened. Now, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. It becomes harder to develop that sense of competency and self-esteem and agency. Well, and, and what jumps out at me is that as soon as you step into blame, you then immediately put someone else on the defensive. Absolutely. So you're no longer, you're, you're back into that triggered state that we were talking about a minute ago. You're no yeah. longer operating from a place of reason and rational thought. Right. It becomes a threat. Right. And what we want to do is minimize the threats. There are challenges. So I encourage you to use language that focus on challenge rather than threat. Mm. So that you can be curious. What's that distinction between challenge and threat? A challenge is something that may be difficult. You know, you may have to struggle with it. Yet it's manageable when you're in that front part of your brain. When there's a threat... Your back part, your bottom part, that threat part of the brain takes over. And now yeah, we, call, we have a word for that. We call it amygdala hijack. Amygdala hijack, yes. So yep. when you're in amygdala hijack, and everybody has different language for the same thing, yep. when you're hijacked by your amygdala, you can't problem solve, you can't be kind, you can't figure things out, and it usually doesn't feel very good. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's this dealing with a challenge as a problem-solving approach or solution. Absolutely. As soon as it shifts into threat, you now have a a saber-toothed tiger at the door and there's (laughs) there's no problem-solving to be had. Yeah. And if there was truly a saber-toothed tiger at the door, you want that part of your brain to take over because it's really, really useful for that. It's not so useful when the homework is a little hard. It's yeah. not so useful when you forgot you needed supplies and it's nine o'clock and Staples is closing at 10 and the project's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a real challenge. And I like the word challenge because it acknowledges 
difficulty of the situation. It acknowledges yeah. some of the parts of it that are kind of yeah. At the same time, it reduces the threat value of it. Mm-hmm. So it maximizes the ability for that useful part of your brain, that thinking part of the brain, that front part of the brain to be in charge. Right. So there's this connection between shame and blame and criticism, right? And all of them in different ways, how they intersect and separately have this tendency to put both kids and adults into a threat cycle. Yes. Absolutely. And as soon as we're in that threat cycle, we can't really operate from our, our reasoning part of our brain, our frontal lobe, until we you know, connect ourselves f- from that, re- disconnect ourselves from the, from the amygdala and back into that frontal lobe, calm right. ourselves down, and then come back to that place of curiosity about what was happening with the child, not with us as a parent. So that's sort of a quick little synopsis of what we've it's covered so far. Awesome synopsis. It's what I love talking to you about. Like, <laughs> you can summarize things so well. That is one of my gifts. I do. I do recognize that it's one of my th- one of those things I can do is pull it. I, I'm big picture. Yeah. All right. So so let's stop for a minute. I want to let people know more about you because you're so clearly such a thoughtful, cogent, intuitive counselor and therapist. And, and so if people want to find out more about you and, and your work, and I know you've got a book that will be coming out at some point, so they may want to hear about that. Yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later, but these things always take more time than you want them to. <laughs> yeah. Are you able to tease us with a title yet or not yet? not yet? Well, the title I have, who knows what the publisher will want is, and I'm co-writing this book with Chris Parrott, but the title of the book is Plug Into Your Kids. And it's a- Plug In. It's a parenting book about managing and raising children in a digital world. Love that. Love that. Awesome. Next conversation we have will be about plug into your kids. Yeah. So, and people can find out more about you, as I said earlier, at SusanBauerfeld.com. That's Susan, B-A-U-E-R-F-E-L-D.com. And of course, you can find out more resources about parenting and other, other interviews, uh, articles with Susan on impactadhd.com. Okay, so we have, you know, five, eight minutes left. Mm-hmm. Um, we've sort of set the stage of how this blame, shame, and criticism thing creates, wreaks havoc in family life, both for the adults and for the kids. What do we do about it? Okay, one of my favorite examples involves my family and the garbage. Okay. Okay. I have three boys. Huge issue. (laughs) And, you know, we thought it was important that they have chores. And one of the chores that they had was the garbage. Yet all three of my boys have different iterations of ADHD brains. Mm -hmm. So in my most stressful state, when they were young and I was doing too much, I would see that full garbage and I would have the mommy melt. And I would launch into, you guys have so little to do, and I do so much, and the one thing (laughs) I do is the garbage, and you know, when I see that, it makes me feel like you don't care about me at all, and you're so spoiled, kids, and you know, (laughs) oh, I'm And nobody else listening to this has ever had that experience. It is a solo experience for you, right? (laughs) Solo experience, and there out comes the shame, blame, criticism. Right. And out comes the, you have to take care of me, and out comes all kinds of stuff. And at the end of it, guess what? The garbage is still full. Right. So in learning some of these skills, um, I started practicing some of what I was preaching. So one of the- Radical. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> One of these skills is say it with a word. So kids are in the room. Garbage. Yes. Lo and behold, what I learned is often the reason they hadn't taken the garbage out is because it just wasn't on the radar. Nope. It wasn't because they didn't care. It wasn't because they were, you know, spawn of Satan come to torture me. It was because... It wasn't even because they disrespect you. No. It no. was because they weren't thinking about the garbage. And it doesn't really bother them as much as you. Exactly. Right. So, garbage. So, saying garbage or the garbage is full, that's 75% of the time. Oh, okay. And they would take it out. That's pretty good. Now, there would be times when it would still be full. If, you know, League of Legends was happening or something else, uh, garbage is still full. So then it's garbage is still full. Mm -hmm. And often it would take, get taken care of. Now, my husband has learned this, and we just had the weekend. My children are all adults now, where he had asked three times and had said garbage is still full. So at the third time you add in... I have asked three times, I'm getting annoyed, the garbage is still full. Right. And it got taken out. I love it. Now, here's a place where when you take out the shame, blame, criticism, you maximize the likelihood of cooperation. No guarantees. You maximize the likelihood of it. You protect your relationship. You teach skills. The brain is available for learning. The brain is available to build a habit. The brain is available to pay attention to what you want it to pay attention to. Right. The language I like to use around this, and what I'm hearing you saying most clearly, is that it's just matter of fact. Garbage. Exactly. Garbage still there. Exactly. I'm getting annoyed. Garbage is still there. Right? Like, it's just matter of fact. There's no judgment, no shame. Just this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And they're human. They know what that means. Absolutely. And they don't feel, it doesn't make them feel bad. Right. Right. It's not designed to make them feel bad. You don't add a layer of challenge that makes it harder to take out the garbage because who right. wants to take out the garbage? Right. Well, and it's hard as an adult, it's hard not to say, I've said this four times already and I'm, you know, why, yeah. why can't you? Right. Right. That's our tendency. Yes. And this is always a problem. And to go back into history, like we want to do that. Yes, we do want to do that. And yeah. this is where putting your own oxygen mask on. So if yep. you find yourself ready to explode or mid-explosion, try to get the oxygen mask on. Give yourself some time and space. Often come back and apologize. You yes. Model that. Because if they do that, you want them to apologize. So yeah. if you've lit into them inappropriately they can own what they did but they didn't earn all that other crap that you added on right and you can own that and apologize for it. yeah and so if you keep it the language simple it helps you keep the tone out of it yes right and Love one that. of a real positive uses of technology which often interrupts connection and relationship but here's a place where it can actually benefit relationships you can text garbage. Oh. <laughs> I do that a lot. There's no tone. You know, I, we're learning how to put tone in a text, but right. generally it lands better than garbage. <laughs> I have to confess that I did this this morning with my family. We're, we're, I now have young adults home for the summer. And when I, I decided to get playful with a text, 
So mm -hmm. I wrote it as a Dear Abby letter. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> Dear yeah, Abby, my it. roommates and I get along so well, but. <laughs> yes. And humor is really useful. Yeah. Because when you're laughing, the amygdala is not hijacked. Right. Okay, you can't laugh in an amygdala hijack. Nope. Um, because you can't be silly in the face of a threat. That would be sort of unwise for survival purposes. Right. So laughter and humor can really help. Right. And But I will say you have to be authentic about it. You can't pretend Absolutely. to be funny because they get that and they'll pick that up. And sarcasm, which many people find funny, that can often land as shame and blame. Yeah, for sure. Especially with younger children. Yes. You don't really get those nuances. Right. So believe it or not, we have to wrap up. And yeah. it is, but, but, you know, these things happen. Any sort of, you have a button you want to put on this, any sort of final takeaway for people as they complete this and listening to this exchange? Try to be mindful of treating people the way you want them to treat you. Ooh, good old-fashioned golden rule. Good old-fashioned golden rule. And, and it is when people start thinking, parents start thinking about this and start becoming mindful, we're often aware how we would not talk to many other people in the disrespectful ways we talk to our children. So true. So true. And, and once you become aware of that and stay mindful of it, it becomes easier to change it. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So our guest has been Su Susan Bauerfeld, and you can reach her at SusanBauerfeld.com. You've also got a couple of articles by her on the website, ImpactADHD.com. And we've been talking about shame, blame, and criticism and how to reduce that for ourselves as well as for our kids. So thank you again for being here so much. Thank you for having me. It was delightful. It was. It was a delightful conversation. I look forward to another one. And thank you all for tuning in, for listening, for, for being there for yourselves, for your families, for making a difference. And your, your presence and your listening to, to conversations like this keeps things moving forward for you. So remember, you are making a difference by being conscious and mindful and thinking about how you're approaching the conversations you're having in your world with your kids, with your students, whomever you're working with, with complex issues. So thanks for being here and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.